Welcome to the Title Run Podcast. I'm your host, David Thay. Coming to you today from the Flowery Branch Studios to talk to you about our beloved Atlanta Falcons. If you're new to the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any major podcasting platform. You can email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. So, it is no secret that we here at Title on Sports are huge Atlanta Falcons fans. We live and die with our team, and we died several deaths this year. Um, the 2020 season was just kind of a smoldering pile of heartbreak, missed opportunities, and disappointment for Falcons fans, which to a large extent we are used to. But, I mean, even though Atlanta fans are used to you know experiencing pain and suffering at the hands of our sports teams, the Falcons' 4-12 and campaign this year managed to hurt us in ways we haven't been hurt before. And and this is coming from a fan base that endured a 25-point blown lead in the Super Bowl. So when we say that we're disappointed in new ways, it really means something. And, I, you know, it, disappointed doesn't really describe probably this season accurately. And I think I came into this season with a prediction. I think Scott and I both predicted the Falcons to go 8-8 eight and eight and – I think Scott predicted 8-8 eight eight to have them just missing the playoffs. And I had them in as the seventh seed in the playoffs with the expanded playoffs. And 8-8 eight and eight would have been a miracle at this point. We'd be excited about 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, Now, we did have a hard schedule, but it was frustrating to see that 8-8 eight and eight really would have gotten them in the playoffs. Uh, you know, granted, on the, depending on how the tiebreakers felt, 8-8 eight eight probably would have been good enough to get in the playoffs. And that just seemed like an attainable goal at the end of the year, even with the difficult schedule. But... Instead, the Falcons became one of only three teams to go 0-7 in one-score games since 2002, which, of course, led to Dan Quinn getting axed after five games when the Falcons were 0-5, and to Thomas Dimitrov finally being handed his walking papers. Ironically, one of the other teams that went 0-7 in one-score games was the Chargers from this year. I have to say this. I've heard people saying in some of the groups that I'm in, in like Facebook, you know, oh, we should be 11-5, and and it's like, okay, nobody or hardly anybody ever wins all of their one-score games. But let's say you split and go three and four in those one-score games. Well, then you're in your season at seven and nine. Maybe if you go four and three in those games, you're eight and eight, which feels like what the Falcons should be. Don't blow the Dallas game. Hold on to your lead against Detroit. Hold on to your lead against Chicago, and you're seven and nine. Don't throw two picks at the end of the game against the Chargers, and you're eight and eight. And so it just feels like, in spite of the talent and the injuries, which there was a lot of injuries, the Falcons still managed to underachieve. And a lot of that has to do with coaching and end-of-game management, which we'll talk about a little bit. So with a heavy but hopeful heart, here are every here are the things that I loved and hated about the 2020 Atlanta Falcons. Now, these are in no particular order, but I will clean this up when I post this article, so enjoy. First off, I love A.J. Terrell. For those of you that dumped on the draft pick, you know who you are. Uh, Terrell is one of the best rookie corners in the NFL this year. Uh, at one point during the season, about week 10 or so, he graded out as the highest rated rookie corner by Pro Football Focus, and take that for what it's worth because their ratings aren't perfect. But it more or less matched what you saw on the field. He played well. Now, at the end of the year, we ended with the Chiefs and the Bucks twice, which are two 
unbelievably good offenses. And Terrell really kind of struggled in those games. But, I mean, again, you're playing elite offenses and elite quarterbacks. Uh, maybe the best quarterback in the NFL right now and the, the, the best quarterback of all time playing with several weapons. And so Terrell, Terrell got – he looked like a rookie in those games. But on the whole, overall, the season, he was very, very good. So – I love A.J. Terrell, and I think he's the CB1 that the Falcons can build around moving forward. Next, I love our linebackers. Foyer Aluakon put together a Pro Bowl caliber season, and he led the team in tackles for the second straight year, and Pro Football Focus did not love him. They rated him, like, <laughs> in the bottom 20 of linebackers in the NFL, but I think that's kind of crap because if you look at his production as far as tackles, he at one point led the NFL in forced fumbles. He has grown to be arguably the best linebacker on this team. Now, Deion Jones really did come on the second half of the year. Um, but the Falcons have a strong building block with Foya Luicon to pair with Deion Jones. And no matter who comes in to coach the team or the defense, those are two anchors that I think are going to be long-term answers for the Falcons there. Now, let, let me move on to something I hate on our defense. I hate the production from our A-list. I'm using air quotes here. A-list D linemen. So I'm referring to people that were high draft picks and or free agents. So we already know one of those, Dante Fowler Jr., who played like hot garbage this year. He was terrible. Even admitted that he wasn't good. Deidre Sinat, third-round pick from a few years ago, he had two tackles in the last two seasons. Two. Two! He has played in just four games the last two years. Marlon Davidson played in seven games and had eight tackles. Dante Fowler had twice as many sacks and tackles as Tack McKinley, and Dante Fowler sucked this year. You know how many tackles and sacks Dante Fowler had? He had two sacks and ten tackles, and Tack McKinley had one sack and five tackles. I don't cuss in this podcast, but expletives would be appropriate here if you're someone that does. So, I hate the production from our A-list D-lineman, and honestly, that position, as well as the offensive line, are the biggest reasons that Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov no longer have jobs. Moving along to other things I hate. I hate Todd Gurley's knee, and I hate Julio Jones' hamstring. Gurley and Julio were in and out of the lineup all year long. Julio more out than in. Most Second most games he's missed in his career. Uh, Gurley's workload and production dropped off a cliff after Week 10. We're at the midpoint of the season. We were talking about him as having a Pro Bowl year. It's like second in the NFL in touchdowns. He was in the top five in first downs. And the arthritic knee stuff started, and he just disappeared from the lineup. Now, Gurley was not the MVP caliber Todd Gurley of 2017. We knew that, but he was still really good at short yardage. He was good in pass protection, and he was good at the goal line. And his absence from our lineup really hurt our red zone offense. And Julio, when he was on the field, was still Julio. Even playing hurt, he balled. He led the NFL in 20-plus yard catches. Through like week 11. <laughs> it took forever. He still finished in the top 10 in 20-plus yard catches. So he was good. Even Julio being not like the vintage 2017, 2016, 2018 Julio is still a heck of a wide receiver. And while Calvin Ridley did surpass him as the uh, WR1, I still think Julio Jones has a future with this team, especially because he's way too expensive to cut. But I hate his hamstring and I hate Todd Gurley's knee because they pretty much ruined any chance we had of trying to right the ship in the second half of the season. Moving on to things I hate in the special teams world. I I hate our return game. Again, 
I hated it a few years ago also. It's fine if you like to watch fair catches, but the Falcons seemingly never, ever get big returns, not even for touchdowns, but just to flip momentum and field position. I mean, can we bring back Andre Roberts? Uh, or can we get Devin Hester out of retirement? I mean, could that be any worse than what we got right now? I just It frustrates me, just the lack of playmaking we have there. I was hoping Chris Rowland would be a solution there, but he's apparently terrible at judging punts based on what a little bit I saw. So I hate the Falcons return game. I both love and hate Matt Ryan's consistency. So I appreciate that he rarely has seasons where he just flat out sucks and he doesn't really string together multiple bad games in a season. But I just want him to be better than pretty good because that's, that's what he is. And with the exception of like three seasons, the typical Matt Ryan year is good to pretty good. So without looking this up, I already knew this stat. When I checked it, it was correct. I could tell you the average Matt Ryan year. 4,500 passing yards, 25 touchdowns, 12 TDs. Guess what Matt Ryan threw this year? 4,500 yards, 25 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He literally had the same statistical year he has every year. It's good. He's got a solid completion percentage, 65%. His QBR QBR and his quarterback rating are in the top 12 or so. He's a pretty good quarterback. But I just want more than once every four years for him to be – Really good. But at this point, he's 35 years old, going into his age 36 season. He is what he is. He is good enough to win with. I mean, Phillip Rivers isn't playing any better than Matt Ryan. His team went 11-5 and because they have an elite offensive line and a really high-level defense. Matt is a good quarterback, but he needs help. I love his consistency, but if you don't surround him with a lot of tools, you can't win a Super Bowl with him. So take that for what it's worth. Going to things that I actually do love. I love the development of Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage. Calvin Ridley looked like a legit number one receiver, which we thought he would be, finishing the top five in the league in receiving yards, top five in touchdowns. And Russell Gage turned into a really reliable third down possession receiver. And I know that comes with a negative connotation, but Russell Gage was good at getting first downs. And that's something that's very valuable. And every now and then, Russell Gage, because he's good at run for catch, would take, you, would take a slant or a hitch route and get you extra yardage. So I really like him as a number three. And I'm excited about their development as they're both still young and they give you a really solid building block. And you think about Calvin really taking over as your number one and Julio as your number two with Gage as your number three. If they stay healthy, I really like that core. Something I hate on the offense still is the Falcons' red zone offense. Number 26 in the league for the second year in a row. And I blame it on two things. Number one is play calling. Number two is lack of a run game. And when you when you can run the ball effectively, you're good in the red zone. Teams that are good in the red zone run the ball effectively. So if you look at the teams that were best in the red zone this year, Green Bay, Tennessee, Cleveland, what do they all have in common? They all have good running backs. Pro Bowl level running backs, truthfully. Green Bay has Aaron Jones as a pro bowler. Tennessee has a 2,000 rusher and 2,000 yard rusher in Derrick Henry, and Cleveland has one of the best pure running backs in the NFL, Nick Chubb. So, yeah, those teams can all run the ball. Now, every now and then you have an anomaly like Seattle is up there, and Seattle was not a great running team. But then the next few teams, five and six, New Orleans, great running back, Minnesota, great running back. So, running the ball effectively is a huge part of being successful in the red zone. And when you're a team that doesn't run the ball well, like the Falcons don't, you're not going to be well in the, good in the red zone. Now, having said that. Earlier this year, when the Falcons had a healthy Todd Gurley for like the first eight games, they were okay in the red zone because Gurley was scoring touchdowns. And as Gurley's health waned and their work, his workload dropped, it became the Young Way Ku show, and 
He led the NFL in field goals, which is cool, but that's not always a good thing. Speaking of Young Waku, I love Young Waku for multiple reasons. Number one, he was the most prolific kicker in the NFL this season, and I love him even more for missing the field goal against Kansas City at the one time he wasn't clutch because it guaranteed that we didn't accidentally win that game and ruin our draft position. Didn't feel that way at the time. Didn't root for him to miss it. But I can't say that I was mad when he did. With him being as young as he is, I'm hoping he'll be our next Matt Bryant, solidify the kicking position for the next five to seven years. It's really all you can ask for with a kicker. Moving on to things I hate, I hate the Falcons' run game. It's so inconsistent. We've already talked about the injuries to Todd Gurley. But Edo Smith was your best pure runner. Brian Hill had the most big play potential, so he might get a negative play or a one-yard run, but then he'd bust a 62-yard run like he did against Tampa Bay in Week 17. Gurley was best in short yardage and pass protection. And if you look at Gurley, Gurley was really good at converting short yardage this year. I don't know. I don't have a success rate here in front of me, but he was really good in short yardage, which is why his yards per carry weren't always great. Gurley would be brought in on second, on third and three, and he would get three and a half. He would get brought in on third and two, and he would get three. He was really good at converting first downs. And like I said, before he got hurt, he was very at the very, very top of the NFL on first down runs, which is something that gets uh, underlooked. But basically, each one of these guys makes up about 70% of a really quality NFL running back. And it was frustrating at times watching us try to mix and match and get each player in the situations that maximize their potential because it came up with mixed results. He does miss a great receiver, but unless you send him on a route, he can't pass protect. I mean, Todd Gurley is good in short yardage, but he's not explosive anymore. So if a play is blocked really well, he's going to get 10 yards. That's it. He's not hitting 40 and 50-yard runs anymore. Brian Hill might hit a 40-yard run, but if you want to pass, he's got brick hands So compared to the other two. So it just it was just frustrating. So moving on to something I love. I love Jeff Ulbrich's defense. Ulbrich retained most of Quinn's personnel and scheme, but he made one big change, and that's that he blitzed a lot. And in particular, he blitzed Deion Jones. Now, he brought Keanu Neal on blitzes. He brought Isaiah Oliver on blitzes, but he was able to unlock a new element of Deion Jones' game that we hadn't really seen. Now, Deion Jones being a guy that's stupid fast, I mean, timed at like a 4-5 at the combine. I think he was like to 4-4, sub 4-4 at his pro day. He's fast. Using a guy that's got that kind of speed to generate pressure from blitzes is genius. I don't know why it took us four years to think of that, but it was good. It was, And it's just something we didn't see under Coach Quinn. And he also somehow managed to fix Isaiah Oliver, who – I've said this before, but Isaiah Oliver, with his length and his, the way he covers, his skill set, he's an outside corner. But we tried him there, and he, he was bad. <laughs> he wasn't good at it. And so what Ulbrich decided to do is instead of just playing him purely in the slot, um, which he's not really a great fit for, he decided to have Isaiah Oliver always shatter the other team's number three receiver. <laughs> and so whenever it was possible. And so all of a sudden, when Isaiah Oliver is covering the team's number three receiver instead of their number one or two receiver, he looks like an NFL football player, it, well, at least through the last six games. And while he still doesn't look like a second-round pick, he looks like someone that could actually be in your football team and be a contributor. So that was really good to see. So I know it's a long shot. I would love to see Jeff Olbrick retain his role on our staff. I think he did a really good job. And for what it's worth, I think he deserves to stay. Now, not likely, but I wouldn't mind seeing Olbrick stay because I feel like he got this defense to play up to the ability level of the personnel, which still wasn't great. But I felt like he got out of this defense what we should have been getting out of this defense the entire year, which was good against the run and average to bad against the pass, but not catastrophically bad against the pass, which is what we were earlier in the season. On the other side of the ball, 
I hate the occasional genius of our offense coordinator, Dirk Cutter. And I say occasional genius because as much as Dirk Cutter gets dumped on, he wasn't all bad. I just, what, what frustrates me is I don't understand how Cutter schemes can look so ingenious in some games, like Week 15 against Tampa, where we're slicing and dicing them in the first half, and then look so terrible the very next week, uh, Kansas City in Week 16. There are multiple times, like the last five weeks, where I saw a new wrinkle that was added and it made me say, Man, that's awesome. Why why didn't we do that before when like we still had a chance to like do something with our season? And it was things like, oh man, that's Russell Gage in the Wildcat. That's good. Why didn't we do that before? Man, why don't we start flaring our backs earlier in the year and throwing the ball to Todd Gurley? Or why didn't we let Edo Smith get more carries early in the year and save Gurley's knees? Or why didn't we throw more quick screens when teams are getting pressure on us or stopping us from running the ball? You get the idea. And if Cutter was always bad, it would be easy to tolerate. But I'm watching games, like I said, I'm like, oh, man, look at these wrinkles. Look at the scheme. Look what we're doing. And it's like, why can't you do this all the time? Anyways, I digress. Moving to the end of my list. I hate our end-of-game management and execution. And this is one of the things that did not change from Raheem Morris to Dan Quinn. Couldn't cover an onside kick against Dallas. Went for fourth down against the Lions in the fourth quarter. Instead of kicking a field goal to go up by an extra score, and then we accidentally go into the end zone very famously to allow Detroit time to come back. There's more. I don't need to rehash all of them. They were painful. You saw them. We we didn't execute in late-game situations. We missed a 39-yard field goal against Kansas City. We throw two picks in the last four minutes against San Diego. When you can't execute at the end of games, that's coaching. Losing by three touchdowns is a difference in talent. Losing seven games by one score is coaching. It is. Because the good teams like Kansas City have the opposite record in those kind of games. And again, no one wins all those games, but it takes a very, very bad team to lose them all. As we come to the end of our list, the thing that I love most about the 2020 Falcons is our draft position. <laughs> if the Falcons had defeated the Bucks on the last day of the season, they could have dropped to as far as number 11 in the draft, which is crazy. As, the, as it is, they ended up in the top five. And I have never and will never root for my team to lose. But when Brady threw his last two touchdown passes, let's just say my feelings weren't exactly hurt. Uh, I, I do believe that you play to win the games, but I also believe that winning a game at the end of the season, that drops you eight spots in the draft is probably not best for the long-term outlook of your franchise. And as for what the Falcons do with that pick and what their future is moving forward, we'll cover that in some other podcasts throughout the year. So that's my list of all the things that I love and hate about the 2020 Falcons. Please hit me up and send me your list of things that you loved and hated about this team. But at the end of the day, I love my Falcons. Rise up. So this is Dave Bethay for the Title Run Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.